Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Janet Atkinson, and this week we are joined by Dan Ingman. Dan is the Director of Regulatory Affairs with the Missouri Farm Bureau. Dan, I have to concentrate every time I say that, so <laughs> I appreciate you uh, taking the time and reminding me whenever I need to remember things. Well, no problem, Janet, and sometimes I have to concentrate on it too because I've only been at this role like a year and a half or so, <laughs> so it hasn't been all that long and you know, just just one of the uh, few new faces at Missouri Farm Bureau on the on the Federation side. <laughs> now you hit the ground running a year and a half ago, and so much so that you were called upon during the commodity conference to give a presentation about uh, certainly a topic that is front of mind, but not phrased in a way that folks often think about it. And that's talking about the green web. Now, whenever we talk about the green web, what exactly are you referring to here? <laughs> yeah, well, I give uh, President Garrett Hawkins uh, full credit on that terminology. So, and then, you know, he started to use it. And then other state farm bureaus, I think, are starting to latch on to the term, including um, American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duval, I think, has, has, has latched on to. But what we're talking about is just like this this build out of, of uh, you know, green energy where we're seeing happen, especially across the Midwest because of our geographic location in the country. When you think about, you know, taking wind power from Western states where it's normally produced to, uh, you know, East Coast, the, the grid on the East Coast where, you know, there's uh, green energy markets, mandates, subsidies, all kinds of demand. And then, you uh, you know, using our uh, private property to house this uh, new intermittent power infrastructure, you know, that that solar, uh, you know, wind, wind power requires. So, and then coupled with the uh, layers upon layers of uh, federal government support in terms of uh, enabled by legislation like uh, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, bipartisan infrastructure law, you know, they're that are you know fueling this boom about four hundred billion dollars um, in clean energy uh, incentives subsidies whatever you want to call it but obviously propping up this this industry and that's why we're calling it a, a web. <laughs> so you know talking about the presentation on the green web that you gave at the commodity conference there was a a slide that you used on the overhead. And that slide had all kinds of little tidbits that popped up one at a time, kind of showing how one thing was connected to another thing, connected to another part, connected to another part. And, you know, it it really is a web of activity. I don't have the visual. Uh, we don't have the advantage of something visual here during a podcast, but describe exactly what those tidbit, tidbits were connecting. Yeah. And you think about this, a way to think about it is the, you know, the Biden administration's um, goals, agenda, if you will, of uh, government wide approach to uh, tackling, you know, climate change or climate crisis or, you know, whatever the buzzwords are in D.C. Uh, you know, that was an executive order issued by the president in January of 2021, you know, shortly after he took office. So uh, it's basically all hands on deck, all government uh, agency approach to this. And so when you think about the big players there, uh, you know, implementing a um, 100% clean energy sector by 2035. Um, net zero emission status for the nation by uh, 2050. Those are really lofty goals. So you have Department of Energy, a big, uh, what I would call the, the financier in this project, uh, uh, you know, in carrying out this agenda, you have the EPA with their various mandates. You have FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory 
commission that are you know proposing you know, rules to allow for uh, federal permitting of these transmission lines uh, versus I mean we have lots of issues with what's going on with our state public service commission that regulates utilities in Missouri but my gosh I mean allowing the federal government to do that um, as as what they call backstop siting authority on large transmission projects. The federal government doesn't know the issues uh, that that you know our farmers and ranchers are facing like like a, a Missouri regulatory agency. So a lot of really scary stuff uh, coming at us, especially uh, you know for an organization like Missouri Farm Bureau that acts in the interests of you know, protecting uh, private property rights, which has been a mainstay for our organization for many, many years. So we got our hands full right now, just to be quite honest. I would say that uh, without a doubt, that is true. Another thought that comes to mind from the conference and your conversation was also how so many segments also lean back to China whenever it comes to the environmental uh, motivations or opportunities that are taking place. They all seem to have a strain that goes overseas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you look at uh, how we're you know going to be incentivizing electric vehicles through federal policy and then the material used in those batteries, you know, lithium and cobalt and so on and so forth. And, you know, I was not a, a chemistry major in college by any means, but uh, where these are produced, China leads the world in uh, in rare earth, uh, what they call rare earth uh, materials production used in these batteries. Um, places like the Democratic Republic of the Congo in Africa uh, is where a lot of the cobalt comes from. And then we're we're seeing like really disturbing uh, stories how you know some of this is being mined with the use of child labor. So certainly not something that I would be very proud of if I were a, a battery producer. Um, I think some companies have some 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 uh, some questions to answer in that regard. Uh, so and then you get to ask, you know, you start to ask yourself, how green is this industry really? Um, so leaves you with a lot more questions than answers when you look at the whole life cycle of uh, of some of these uh, some of these products and these um, in these emerging industries. Dan, you and I had the chance to chat a little bit earlier today, and it also ties into this conversation and talking about uh, producing energy and Missouri, as well as uh, our surrounding neighboring states. We have the advantage that we also have a lot of rural areas that are still rather picturesque. But at the same time, these beautiful areas that we love so much are also uh, under threat from other uh, entities. Right. Yeah. I mean, I say this this green uh, web, this this boom of infrastructure. Um, certainly, it is. Uh, if you're in row crop country, relatively flat ground, I think you should be really concerned as a landowner, um, whether it impacts your farm directly or a neighboring farm. You know, if it if it doesn't impact you directly, there's a good chance you're going to have to look at some infrastructure. You know, a lot of us, uh, you know, including myself, you know, we're we're in, you know, uh, my wife and I are in the middle of, you know, building a, a, a house on the family farm. It's very picturesque. And, you know, there's a reason that we live in rural areas. We, we love the scenery. I uh, love being uh, just just kind of unimpeded views. And, you know, that's really, really special. Uh, but you have, uh, you know, these projects, these really tall um, power line uh, towers, these utility towers, you know, to, for transmission lines. You have solar farms that are being built out across the landscape. You have wind turbines. So again, um, 
how does that not everyone, you know, will, will want to look at something like that, even if you're not directly affected. So how does that factor in to, um, you know, uh, your, your homestead value, you know, there's a term called heritage value when it comes to eminent domain condemnation cases. Um, I, I would think that has to count for something. Uh, you know, one of our members, I believe it's over in Sheridan County talked about the grain belt express, project, uh, this huge power line coming across North Missouri and how it has basically, it'll come across the North part of his farm, if I remember correctly. And he was saying, you know, this is going to take away, you know, pretty well every, you know, building site on the farm. He talked about his, his son, you know, maybe want to build a house on the family farm, or, you know, it could be a machine shed or a grain bin site or a, a uh, you know, riding arena, you, you name it. Uh, so, so lots of impacts at the, at the farm level, this is, this is going to create if it hasn't already. Speaking on behalf of some of those folks who are impacted in those rural locations that have already battled uh, some of these issues of electric companies trying to come through uh, energy companies, what is the suggestion that you share with those folks who are or maybe getting ready to face a battle like this themselves? Well, I would say, you know, first and foremost, don't don't go into battle by yourself. I would consult to find a good attorney to work with uh, if you need some help with that. Uh, certainly, you know, folks can reach back to me uh, and we can, you know, steer you at least in the direction of one attorney that we work with a lot. I mean, certainly there's lots of them across the state engaged in this space. But have an attorney review those contracts. You know, big part of big part of it is, um, you know, what happens. Let's say a solar farm. Uh, what happens at the end of the useful life of that project? You know, we talk about. You know, question I got asked during our commodity conference was about uh, decommissioning. You know, uh, is the company make sure the company is responsible for restoring uh, the land back to to what it was at the end of the useful life cycle of the project. So that'd be really important. I'm by no means an expert in this, I'm learning every day on this topic. Uh, but I, I know the University Extension, University of Missouri Extension, that is, um, has got some resources out here on this topic too. But um, but yeah, I would definitely say stop, um, you know, read those contracts carefully, have an attorney review those and, and make sure that, uh, that, that you're being treated fairly here because it, that's what we that at the end of the day, that's what, you know, our, our mission here at Missouri Farm Bureau is that's what drives us to make sure that landowners are treated fairly in this process. So chances are there's a good possibility that we're not going to be able to stop these projects, uh, but landowners need to be fairly compensated. And uh, Janet, it involves really a shift, uh, a shifting of the paradigm here. You know, oil and gas, you know, for decades has had, you know, royalty payments um, you know, we think that landowners should be consult be uh, 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 compensated uh, more than just uh, one time or or annual tower payment. I mean, these companies are making uh, big time money off these projects. Again, aided in large part with federal uh, incentives. So again, the conversation needs to shift to how do landowners share in that profit uh, being generated. Uh, from them, from a landowner having to house that infrastructure basically in perpetuity or a very long time, uh, you know, having a farm around it, having to look at it, that kind of thing. Uh, 
I think it's time time for uh, for landowners to be able to uh, have a, a bigger piece of the pie than what they have had historically. I'd say there's probably a lot of landowners that would agree with you on that front, without a doubt. Uh, shifting gears to another topic under this same umbrella, uh, the EV mandates that keep coming and making headlines. Of course, a lot of those are coming out of California, what we hear about, also out in New York, but those are not uh, one-off things. Yeah. Um, again, back in 2021, I don't. I think this really had had received yeah pretty little fanfare. But executive order issued by the president, 50% of new vehicles sold in the country will be what they call zero emission vehicles or ZEVs by 2030. Again, not very far away. And you know, today uh, those figures, the latest figures I've been able to find, is 0.2% uh, of heavy trucks are are ZEVs and only 8% of light duty vehicles. And then coupled with uh, EPA tailpipe emissions rules that we commented on and pushed back on um, is really a de facto mandate. Um, EPA has always said that they are, have been technology neutral, uh, but they're really, really pushing toward EVs, it looks to me like. And uh, and the sad part is, you know, in our comment letters, Janet, that, that we said, you know, hey, you could EPA, you could plug and play uh, biofuels today and cut greenhouse gas emissions by as much as 80 percent. Um, and then, you know, with these tailpipe emission rules, what I saw um, in, in, the, in the documentation was they got reductions goals of, of 17 to 18 percent. So, you know, back to our conversation about you know, subsidizing foreign nations and in, in rare earth materials. Uh, my gosh, I was like, why don't we uh, emphasize biofuels to a greater degree and be subsidizing the heartland of America versus China or the Congo or, or you know, far flung places like that? Uh, it would sure make a lot more sense to me. Well, Dan, as far as the conversation goes, uh, it sounds like it's going to be a topic that's just going to probably keep on giving <laughs> with right. the lack of a better way to say it. So, I mean, what do folks need to do to try and stay on top of the the issue, the green web, as it continues to develop? Do you have some resources that you have found extremely helpful? You know, I, I know it's a it's a subscription, but, you know, like I told folks in at the, our commodity conference, the Wall Street Journal is fantastic as far as uh, really writing heavily about this is green energy um, agenda by the administration. That's a great source. Lots of good reporting out there. Um, my gosh, it's, it's just, you know, you know how it is. Like when you start researching a topic, like these articles just kind of feed to your browser. So there's a lot of free resources out there too. Um, so I would just encourage people to just get out there and read as much as they can on it. Um, we've, we've done several, uh, Missouri Farm Bureau, President Hawkins has issued several commentary pieces on it. We're going to continue to be banging the drum on this. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, I would say read as much as you can, uh, consult the experts, you know, attorneys, like I said, university extension, you know, folks like that, you know, folks that you trust, cause a lot of information out there and you have to kind of sort through it all yourself. Uh, but, but, uh, my gosh, if, if, uh, we at Missouri Farm Bureau can be a resource on any of it. I mean, I would encourage people to, to not hesitate to, uh, to, to get in touch. 
Well, Dan, as always, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with us. We've been talking with Dan Ingeman. He is the Director of Regulatory Affairs with the Missouri Farm Bureau. Again, as he mentioned, we have a previous podcasts, not recently. This is one of the first ones that I've had the chance to participate in, but uh, also previous commentaries that kind of dig into the issue, especially recently, of the Green Web. You can find those online at MOFB.org. You've been listening to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau.